Welcome to episode two of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing games. And I'm Jason Keeley. I am a Renegade Game Studios RPG developer. It's very exciting to have yeah. you back, Jason. Oh, it's exciting always to talk to you, Ryan. Now, Jason, today we're going to be talking about adapting a licensed property, which is mm-hmm. what Essence 20 up till now has been 100% dedicated to. Yeah. Essence 20, in theory, could be a system that just runs its own generic settings. Maybe sometime in the future that might happen. But for now, it's 100% dedicated to mm-hmm. these licensed properties, which even right now all happen to be Hasbro licensed properties. Sure. Yes, exactly. But that also could change in the future. There could be other other licenses that Renegade picks up that uh, use the Essence 20 system you know that's adapted to that so we can talk a lot about how you know this kind of thing works and ryan why don't you tell me how you feel about this how, you know you've <laughs> how, how do you how, how do you how do you go about like you know adapting a licensed property for a role-playing game anyway well so there's different degrees because it all depends on my familiarity with the property where it's something mm-hmm. like gi joe where it's like i am very close to gi joe i have to make sure i don't look at gi joe from too close a perspective and think mm. like Everyone knows, you know, everyone knows Destro. Everyone knows Zartan. Right. That's something that I cannot necessarily take that for granted. And then also, if there's a corner of G.I. Joe that I just think is fascinating, maybe this is my opportunity to let everyone see how fascinating it is. Or maybe I'm just indulging myself as a fan. Yeah. If I put a little too much attention to that, the the example from the core book might be the Stahl siblings, where the only threat in the back section that's not one of the iconic G.I. Joe villains is Blackout, who is uh, the brother of Barrel Roll and uh, Bomb Strike, which are two G.I. Joes, all three of which are very obscure characters. (laughs) But the dynamic is fun, and so I was just really hoping that we can at least get one uh, solid nod to an obscure piece of fiction into a section that is otherwise really like. Everyone who knows anything about G.I. Joe should know most of the characters in this section. Yeah, but I think I think a little little dips little, little dips of your toes into that sort of deep lore is fine if you can also don't assume that the reader or the player or whatever knows exactly what you're talking about. If you just go ahead and say, This guy is the brother of two G.I. Joes. That's you know, that's an, that's enough information to sort of start with, you know, and 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 then move on you get to read the, the the full description that you give them and here's the stat block and all that stuff so yeah uh, i i think that stuff is fine but there is there's, there's always a lot of lore especially for something as old as gi joe yes uh like i said there were three ways you, you can approach a uh, licensed property so that's one of them that's like i'm already a super fan and i have to make sure i don't overindulge <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but then with transformers and my little pony i'm a fan but uh, have a broad enough understanding of it that i can uh, write about it, and if I don't know an answer, I know where to find it. So okay. it's still very yeah. easy for me to write on these properties. I know to go to TF Wiki for anything related to Transformers. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of different books that uh, some are in my daughter's collection, some of them are in my collection that just goes into my little pony lore. Sure, yeah. I know how to adapt it because uh, I know how to access the property. But then there's Power Rangers, mm-hmm. which I have done very little writing on because when I look up something on Power Rangers, I'm hoping that the Power Rangers Wiki that I've found. Uh, is a reliable resource but then there's also stuff like the power rangers have for the most part they use real names and so if i find Mm. an article and it's about a human with a human looking name is this the actor is this the character yeah you need is this from the japanese version that was then adapted to an american audience like i have to spend three times as much time researching it just to make sure that the answer that i found to my question isn't too good to be true and that this is actually what i need (laughs) <laughs> sure yeah right right um because there's also like many many seasons of power rangers yeah of the three properties you've got power rangers is just one long chunk of one solid story like there is no break there's no reboots uh, there's yeah like the movie is its own thing but for the most part it's all one thing yeah yeah that's true whereas gi joe and transformers have had sort of iterations or, or like you said yeah, reboots exactly and there's the evergreen and then there's reinterpretations but like we knew what we were dealing with with the evergreen well one thing you need to uh, consider when doing a licensed property is like what exactly are you licensing uh you know because all of these these hasbro uh, lines we sort of want to focus more on the sort of evergreen stuff we're not necessarily going into all the other transformers more for cybertron 
more recent stuff. We're sort of yeah. looking more at the sort of the uh, stuff that's related to those old those old cartoons. Uh, same with the GI Joe. We don't necessarily are going into super recent comics, but then we want to uh, occasionally look into that lore because uh, uh, times have changed. You know, we sort of you know might need that a uh, 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 little bit of modern day thinking in some of the pieces of art we use. Yeah, well, and one of the most interesting things for me is when we were dealing with uh, My Little Pony. So My Little Pony is this 40-year property, but we're dealing right. with Friendship is Magic, which yes. was that seven, eight-year run that came out uh, about, started 15 years ago, ended about five years ago. Uh, and in that time, there is a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic movie that released to theaters. We don't have the license to touch the stuff that's in the movie, mm. even though that's the stuff that's in our continuity, unless there's overlap. So, like, they introduce the sea ponies, which are, like, mermaid ponies that can turn right. into hippogriffs. We can touch, we can deal with the the concept of yep. these transforming sea ponies because they show up in later seasons. But the specific characters from the movies are off limits because mm. they are only movie characters. characters. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. So you have to pay close attention. As for me, like, I am... Uh, you know, aware, I would say, of all of these properties, but I wouldn't consider myself like a super fan of any one in particular. Uh, you know, I know I know a little bit about you, know a little bit about Transformers, know a little bit about Power Rangers. Uh, so I come to this and it's a kind of like, for now, a blank slate that uh, I have to trust the authors kind of know what they're doing, look up some stuff that may look uh, suspect. The first couple of weeks, this is when I learned that dial tone is sometimes spelled with the hyphen and sometimes it's not which <laughs> drove me insane oh uh, my god so this is one of the points i was going to bring up when just like yeah. you got to make sure that you get uh the names right specifically but you know the cobra bat the the robot mm-hmm. yeah what do you think bat stands for i thought it was battle android trooper yeah according to the original card it's cobra android trooper the bat is the it's cobra the, android the, trooper so the bat is the cat Exactly. So, like, we're in the situation where, like, everyone knows this as the Battle Android Trooper. What do we do when the source material makes this really strange choice that was probably, like, a last-minute decision right. in, like, the legal department or whatever, and we're just kind of stuck with this this oddity? Oh, God, yeah. I think you yeah. just have to run with it and, you know, hope your licensors aren't <laughs> paying <laughs> that, you know, like, that detail of attention to to these sorts of things. Yeah, well, in the bats case, there have been bats ever since, and it has been it, uh, officially acknowledged mm-hmm. as the Battle Android Trooper in official sources. So at least that one we get away with. But right, stuff yeah. like Dial Tone, where we're supposed to go to the official source, and the official source is inconsistent. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah, I we think make a call. You make a call exactly. You just got to make that call, uh, as Dial Tone would. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> So yeah, it's just very interesting. Very uh, in terms of other like things, I've never, I haven't, I wouldn't say that I have worked on other licensed properties either. Uh, as the course of my entire life um, has been basically in in a situation where I get to either you know kind of make stuff up or you know working at at, at uh, Paizo as I did for a few years. It is sort of in a, someone else's invention to begin with, but also there's room there for other invention whereas there's for you know these licensed properties there's less room i would say you've got to kind of know what's going on i mean we have to you know we were we're writing new adventures right so we need to 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 come up with new plot lines we're just not reach rehashing and retreading old episodes or whatever if we were to adapt an episode people know the ending if they know the episode sure exactly right um so uh there's some of that freedom but then we can't just necessarily be like well now cobra's run by a demon from hell or something you know like you know destro's better so destro's in charge destro's just i just like Destro. yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly you're talking about how your experience working on starfinder because you were on the the design team and you so you got firsthand get got to make choices regarding that world uh i have a lot of experience with pathfinder and uh, mm-hmm. freelancing for paizo on pathfinder stuff and for me this isn't that far off from working on a licensed property because True. pathfinder had this long established lore that i was working with your lore the, mm-hmm. you know your at the time with paizo's lore and so i could add to it but for the most part i had to make sure i was consistent with what had come before it and just deliver on something that fit into the world that I was working in. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I having done you know my own freelance for Pathfinder, I felt the same way. It was always just like, I got to make sure that things are basically in the same vein as what's come before. And as Starfinder kind of continued, I would say that I wasn't necessarily making a lot of the earliest choices. I got to make some choices sort of like in the and a, 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 a toddler stage of Starfinder that sort of helped move things along. Uh, but uh, as as Starfinder moved forward and forward, we had to kind of was building up this lore that we had to be true to stuff that we brought up before. Or uh, although while working at Paizo, either in Pathfinder or Starfinder, there's always the option of kind of casting a net to the to the rest of the to the teams and be like oh, this is terrible can we just all ignore it from now on <laughs> and everyone goes yeah we all want to ignore that from now on and we would just ignore that from you know ignore it from now on. so so there we have that we have that freedom when you are the person creating the 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 legend you know the lore but when you're working with other people's lore we're an old lore that is kind of uh, uh, a little bit set in stone uh, we can kind of make soft allusions to stuff maybe you don't want to talk about if that's a thing or or just sort of try your best with what you've got now i think the worst case scenario with working on a licensed property would be something that's really actively being updated as like like mm -hmm. if we were adapting a movie that will be out at the same time the role-playing game is out yeah and scripts are being changed like um, the snake eyes in fact if you look at the cover of the judge role-playing game mm -hmm. snake eyes has a flaming sword Oh, sure, yeah. At one point in the Snake Eyes movie that came out last year, uh, Morning Dawn, the sword that he gets in it, was supposed to be a flaming sword. Mm. And so we got art uh, officially from uh, from Hasbro saying, this is what Snake Eyes' sword looks like. You can use this kind of concept in any of your art. Mm. And so that ended up on the cover. And then that element of the story was removed uh, fairly late in the game, I think, because yeah. like my daughter has the Snake Eyes roleplay sword and it has a light-up feature and makes like fire noises. So oh, wow. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing. If we were just adapting the Snake Eyes movie rather than G.I. Joe, having to keep up with the changes that are being made to it, like that yeah. sounds super stressful. Yeah, I can't imagine. But <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, I can imagine because in high school, I had homebrewed a pro wrestling role-playing game and decided to set it in real time in the WWE, wow. which means that if something happened on a Monday, uh, that affected my setting. And so I had to update all the players on like, well, as you saw on Monday... Uh, this this face turned heel, and so now, even though we were building this other storyline going on, uh, we have to completely change our plans. So, were you like running this game on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, a few days after the Monday night thing happened? Yeah. Monday night uh, wrestling happened. Wow, that is yep. that is bold. I gotta it say, was, well, it, it was a very casual game. We would play at sure. like lunch times, or okay. sometimes I would hang out with one friend on the weekend, and it's like. I could move your character forward in the storyline by one match and we could just have a little quick sure. uh, okay, yeah. simulation game. So, uh, yeah, if we were really into it, I would probably be getting very upset at the WWE for no. being bold enough to make changes to their no. own product. Stop it, stop it. But th honestly, though, that is that does sound like something that you one has more energy for when one is a teenager. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the energy for that uh, these days, that's for sure. I have myself, like run homebrew games in other settings for instance just fairly recently i ran a discworld game now i didn't use discworld oh, cool. i didn't use discworld gurps because i didn't want to have to go into gurps this is a very casual group we uh, there's actually like a free um game maybe i'll give it a, a, a another shout it's on itch.io it's just basically a, specifically a discworld game and that was a little harrowing for me because I knew Discworld pretty well, and one of them, one or two of my players also knew it pretty well. So every once in a while, they'd be like, "Oh, this is I, you know, throw in an NPC that exists in the in the city, uh, and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's that's Mrs. Cake, and she's partially psychic, and and the people who know would just be nodding, and everyone else would be just kind of like, oh, we don't know what you're talking about, but it doesn't matter because we're having fun. <laughs> but that you know, again, Discworld is also set pretty much, even though you know, as it was going on it was evolving i just sort of like decided i picked a time one of my more favorite books around this time is when this is set and you know, everyone made up their own characters they weren't playing existing characters but just sort of throwing in little nods here and there but that was fun but uh, uh that's like like just that kind of stuff is like the closest i've come to uh to to really dealing with uh properties and you know until now till until this job all right, well, we've talked a lot about some of the challenges, so I think we should focus on some of the advantages sure. of adapting these existing properties. And uh, one of the first ones that I've got here on my list is the mm -hmm. idea that in this specific case, we are adapting open-ended play, which is ideal for a role-playing game. 
because mm-hmm. these are based on toy lines for the most part, Power Rangers being the exception, but the three that I worked on are based on toy lines, and toys are supposed to give you ideas to inspire your own stories good point. and tell your own stories through play, which is the definition of a role-playing game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, they don't set things necessarily so much in stone with it when you get a toy. You get, oh, this toy can shoot rockets and whatever, but, you know, you look at it and you might dream up something else. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much of the freedom we have to be like, well, obviously, well, this is a different way to use uh, the, this 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 rocket launcher, this backpack, this jetpack or whatever. But for the most part, yeah, you're right. We can, you know, it, it's similar enough that it works pretty well. Yeah. So we've only got a couple of pages to talk about Cobra Commander, for example. That's all we need. We don't have to say, mm-hmm. here's 3,000 words of just his backstory. All we need to know is what the file card says, what we've seen him do in some of the iconic right, media, yeah. and just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And and luckily the and the, luckily there's a lot of that, you know, I would say. Uh especially with Joe and like Transformers. There's just uh, a lot of these sort of characters that you can throw in NPCs or decide to play if you want to uh and make your own stories. But the, all of those characters have sort of ways of acting that aren't that that lend themselves to other things happening, right? We know that you know, Destro's going to try to sell arms to some, he's going to build these, maybe build something new and wacky. And oh, maybe the PCs can, as they're, as these green shirt Joes can stop them. Which brings me to my second point that there yeah. is extensive source material. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't have to come up with anything original when I'm working on these role playing <laughs> games. All I need to do is find the original thing that already exists and port it over to role playing game rules. There was, I don't know if you remember this, there was a CGI Spider-Man series on, I believe it was on MTV, and Spider-Man was voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. It was very short-lived, but I remember an interview with the showrunner saying, if Spider-Man's landlord has a name in the comics, we are going to make sure that we have that landlord in our show. Mm -hmm. And that was just the example that it's like, if it's in the source material, we're not going to make our own basically the same thing when we could have done a little research and ported something over from the source material. And I like that. And I mm-hmm. think that's very similar to uh, my philosophy when we're adapting these licenses. In fact, early on when we were talking about what we would include in the thrust section of the G.I. Joe book, Elisa, who was kind of in your role at the time, mm-hmm. was saying like, try not to make up too many characters if you don't have to. And I was like, make up characters. <laughs> like I have to narrow down my list. <laughs> exactly. That in a way uh, does uh, sort of uh, is, is a bit of a, double-edged sword for at least for, for people like me who just like to make stuff up <laughs> like that's sure. the, the easiest thing in the world to be like have an idea you know know kind of what the shape of the world is and then just create a new character in it that sort of uh, you i think would fit but with it all this extensive backstory there's no reason to of course like you said yeah well and similar like we had a uh a live stream where uh what's his name i, th- I want to say his name was dustin and he was the GM of the Power Rangers actual mm. play. Right. Uh, and when I say we, again, I refer to Renegade, who I only freelance for, and I should establish that sure. every single episode, because <laughs> I'm definitely going to say we when I'm talking about Renegade, because That's I, I have a good relationship with mm-hmm. Renegade. Um, yeah, so uh, we did, like, uh, in real time during one of the Renegade cons, creating a G.I. Joe character. And this was before mm. the core rulebook came out. And so he created a sniper character, and then he named it uh, Hollow Point. Hollow Point sort of is, well, not sort of, there is a G.I. Joe named Hollow Point. Mm -hmm. Very obscure. He was from a line that had like these Lego blocks on their forearms. And so you could take Mm. off a chunk of the vehicle and put the weapon on there. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is a very cool gimmick, but it was definitely, it wasn't mainline. It was kind of like a more child focused one. Uh, And he looks just like rock and roll. So he doesn't even have like a visual uniqueness, Mm. but the name is out there and it's like, Oh, it's it's frustrating when you're bumping up against something that it's like this is the perfect idea that would be the perfect fit, mm-hmm. but something already exists. True, true, true. But then uh, that that's you know uh, something that we the uh, the the makers of the game have to deal with. But of course, you know when you got a game at home and you want to make up a GI Joe, you're making up some new Joes and you scroll through the list of like military terms and other things and happen to hit on something that exists in some obscure piece of lore. You really don't need to worry about it too much. You uh, you know. But we do. <laughs> yes. I'm going to put a pin into people at home researching military stuff. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that when we talk about the disadvantages of Fair adapting enough. these licenses. Yeah. 
but the final point I have on here is resources. And we've already referenced a couple of the ones that I used when mm -hmm. I'm doing uh, Transformers My Little Pony. Uh, just the fact that these properties all have... Uh, fan bases have like 40 years of fans that are internet savvy passionate and so yeah. have collected these resources onto wikis or you know sometimes into pre-wiki just databases and so uh if i need an answer i can find it and i can trust the source uh, it's it's usually something that i can even verify across multiple different sources just to make sure that i that oh, me sure. and that first source i came across i've gotten it right like i have an amazing memory for things in G.I. Joe, but even I need to research things, uh, especially when I'm working in official capacity on the brand. So, um, yeah, just knowing that anytime I'm like, oh, who was that guy again? I can go look it up and somebody knows who that guy was again. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of a, a, an, in a way, for like I said earlier, for now, trusting in y'all sort of doing the work in the, on the writing stage part of things where I've just got to come in and, and polish things up a lot uh, before moving it into to print. Um, speaking of the, the wikis, though, um, you mentioned, you know, TF Wiki. Uh, uh, and so you've looked at that a few times. That, that's, that one is pretty sarcastic, isn't it? Like weirdly, yes. so, tongue, um, almost tongue-in-cheek. David in Willis, who writes the webcomic uh, Short Pact, which is about a okay, store that, yeah. uh, that sells toys and like all of the employees are like toy collectors. Uh, he is either in charge or one of the main people that works on the wiki. And so his, the sense of humor from the comic mm. has spilled over into that wiki. Oh, and yes, it definitely, you'll just be looking up a character and suddenly like their bio is written in a limerick. And yeah. Like, Why? What? what? It's because there was one comic that referenced this guy likes limericks and maybe it never came up again. And so, Willis became obsessed with the idea that this guy is uh, <laughs> a fan of limericks. It's so weird. The reading the like the captions of the pictures that they'll have are real, almost ninety five percent snarky. Yes, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I just need to know what this guy transforms into, please. Yeah. Oh, another pin we're going to put into it is the fact that you called it transforming. We're going to talk about that. actually. Mm, you know, yeah, well, well, let's yeah. talk about that right now. Yeah. So one of the disadvantages in working with is uh, working with licenses is you have to work with the licensor, which you know is ninety percent a positive experience. Like, yeah. It, uh, from what I've heard, the GI Joe team really just is tickled that we're even doing a role playing game based on GI Joe. Nice. Uh, but you know there are considerations beyond just what should fit into the role playing game, and one of those is uh, legal. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. Transformers. Don't transform. If you look at a Transformers toy, it says that they convert into oh, such and such right. an object. And the reason for that is that Transformers doesn't, or Hasbro doesn't own the idea of a robot that turns into another thing. And so okay. if the process of turning into another thing is called transforming, then any toy that tr goes from one thing to another can be called a Transformer. And suddenly their brand name has become genericized mm. uh, and it becomes a Kleenex Xerox situation where it becomes a lot harder for them to defend this million billion dollar property that they yeah. own because they've just used the wrong verb at the wrong time. That's a good point and something that I am glad I know now. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you ever, like, the first thing you need to do when you're working on a Transformers book is look for any references to transforming. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, noted, duly noted. Yeah. I mean, that was something that was explained to me by Renegade, so someone at Renegade knows this, and if you sure, were yeah. to turn over a manuscript that still had Transformer references, transforming references, they would probably touch you aside and be like, this is very important to Hasbro that we don't do this. Yeah, yeah. On top of that, working for a licensor means that there is an extra step to the whole process. Yeah. And that means that when you are projecting the uh, the timeline of when a product will go out you have to add the x amount of what priority is this to the licensor so in this case hasbro and how available is the person that would be giving the stamp of approval to you know be able to stamp ours and move on now we mm -hmm. have had uh we we apparently have an incredible relationship with hasbro because yeah. we have never been held up by a licensor issue um there have been changes some of them have been even costly changes i believe but there has never been like just sitting here waiting because mm -hmm. it's on somebody's desk and they just don't have the time to get to it for us. Yeah. I think we just uh, uh, sent something out pretty recently, <laughs> like Friday or possibly tomorrow, Monday uh, for, to, for some license approval. So I'm looking forward to possibly having to 
integrate any of those changes. It might not be up to me. It might not be to the art department or whatever, but yeah, we'll see. I've only heard rumors and very rarely when it comes down to like, this is something that affects the freelancers on the book, but for the most part, it never gets to me. So you yeah. will have an experience that I have only ever heard of. Yeah. And then also I have heard too, you know, we have that good relationship with Hasbro and that they, they are generally pretty hands-off except for the big important things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but since we're talking about licensors, I'll also talk about the cost. Uh, our books mm -hmm. are going to cost slightly more than one with an in-house, uh, than like a book with an in-house setting. Right. Because we have to pay for the property. Now, uh, the hope is that by paying for the property, we have a larger audience. And so mm -hmm. we were able to produce more, you know, the whole cost of scale. And that eventually yeah. it will pay off for Renegade in the end. But it is something that... Uh, we have to be considerate that our audience is going to be paying more on average and that we have to make our books that much more of a wow book so that when they see it and it's like, it's $5 more than this one, but I got to get this one because it's Transformers, because it's G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that just sort of dips into the to the business side of things that I often never, ever see and don't <laughs> ever really understand. Um, you know, it does seem sort of like it's both you know, you're paying, it's part of, in a way, you know, that licensing cost is kind of like paying for extra marketing because you get the, you get this brand name that kind of has its own cash, right? Uh, or is it cachet? I've never been sure how to pronounce, which one that is. Um, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, again, you know, so that will help you sell all that much more. All right. Now, this was the original main disadvantage I had, and that was that the, Having a brand comes with expectations. Mm -hmm. And we were talking earlier about how open-ended play lets you fill in the blanks and tell your own version of the story, which means that if there's a million G.I. Joe fans, there's a million versions of the G.I. Joe story that have been told in playgrounds and mm -hmm. you know, fan fiction and everything across the world. But on top of that, something that even major news uh, sites I see get wrong is when they are reporting on G.I. Joe, they will often say, based on the 80s animated series and it's like no no the original source material is the toy line it is mm -hmm. hasbro created toys then somebody made uh, cartoons based on the toys they made comics based on the toys every media out there is based on the toys not the other way around it's not like batman who is a comic book character first right. and sure there's a billion batman toys out there but he's his original storyline is in the comics the original storyline for gi joe transformers my little pony is the snippets of implied story that you get on the toys. And the cartoon takes those snippets and fleshes them out in one way that they could have played out. And so, like, I've seen some reviews for the role-playing game talking about how it doesn't really capture the tone of the cartoon. And it's like, because we're not just capturing the tone of the cartoon. Yeah, we're capturing we the tone of anything G.I. Joe could be, starting with the source material, the toy line. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it just, you know have to deal with that in the sense of making just a game, a, you know, a, a really good game that people will enjoy no matter what their general expectations are for what it is. And general expectations. General expectations. Doctor, <laughs> doctor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, hope, you know, and, and, you know, uh, one of the things being, you know, you can't please everybody all the time. So uh, you just try to please as many people as possible. Yeah, well, and the way it's reflected in our games is that uh, we don't kill anyone, we defeat them. Well, yeah. And that means that if you want to play this like the cartoon, uh, then, you know, the lasers are just ultimately stunning them or you're just beating them until mm -hmm. they give up and then you have, you know, an exchange of words and then you mm -hmm. leave them and somehow they're back with the bad guys the next week because sure. you didn't put them in jail or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you want the more serious interpretations of these brands, you can just say, like, he's defeated, You've killed them. You used real bullets on someone that is vulnerable to bullets, and now mm -hmm. they are dead. <laughs> so what have you done? Yeah, so we didn't just need this to fit into how death works in the comics or in the cartoon, right. but it needed to be able to apply to both. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, my next point here, uh, you kind of referenced it. It's sure. material that doesn't age well. I'm going to specifically call this the spirit problem. So in mm -hmm. G.I. Joe, there's a character named Spirit. He is uh, a Native American tracker is how he was originally described. Uh, oh, do I have one handy? No. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah. if I had one handy, I would be showing it to you. You know what Spirit is. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of really interesting things about Spirit. One is that he is usually one of the people that people point to and when they're talking about the stereotypes in G.I. Joe and presentation. 
Uh, but then the other thing is that he's very popular among Native American fans and among yeah. minorities because he was one of the few characters that was representing their uh, their their ancestry, their uh, yeah ancestry. I'll stick with that and representing them and was flat out a hero and like was yeah. used very heroically in the source material. Both the comics and the cartoon were very positive with spirit. Uh, and what's even funny is that there are three Native American characters in the original G.I. Joe line. There's Spirit, mm. there's Airborne, who came before Spirit and is not a gimmicky right, character. Yeah, okay. he's, he's the fixed-wing pilot. He's the guy that is manning the gun while, um, while Bill flies the helicopter. And he is, uh, is a, a bit of a pun, but he has flown under the radar mm -hmm. as far as representation. So it's like we've got this character that is heavily uh, stereotypical, but also iconic and a lot of people's favorite character. And so it's like, what do we do with it? Well, luckily, Hasbro dealt with that problem first. And sure, uh, yeah. a lot of changes I would have expected today would have made in the most recent uh, version of Spirit. They didn't. And a lot of the changes they made, I was not expecting. Mm. So first of all, one of the changes they made was to make sure that he's not just referred to as a Native American. Because there's all kinds of different Native American cultures. So it would be like saying, like, this character is European. And it's just... <laughs> That's kind of being a little too broad yeah. with the concept. Yeah. Um, one downside is that I cannot find anywhere what specific tribe they have tied Spirit to. I, okay. I know it was a big part of the announcement. I cannot find that announcement. And it doesn't seem to be in any of the written material I've found online. This is something that I'm really trying to find because I do want to use Spirit in an upcoming product. So that was one of the big things. And one of the other things that really surprised me is that he is no longer a tracker as his specialty. Mm -hmm. Because that is a little bit too much leaning into mysticism and stereotypes. Uh, and so now he's a sniper and he comes with, instead of, uh, he used to come with like a dart launcher. So it was a rifle with a cartridge that was very clearly darts, mm -hmm. which was specifically anachronistic. And so even at the time it was like, this is, we have created a fantasy for a character that goes against uh, the representation of the character. So now he's got a modern military sniper rifle and he is uh, portrayed as a sniper. Cool. Yeah. But uh, it is that kind of thing that when you're dealing with a 40-year-old property, that one is kind of the uh, very obvious one with right. a happy ending. So he makes a great example. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the reasons that Hasbro made these changes is because they did consult with a lot of uh, cultural oh, consultants. Good. Good. Yeah. And yeah, they, they did it the right way before bringing him into the, the latest uh, toy line for G.I. Joe. Uh, but yeah, we will come across a bunch of other microaggressions or just like outdated concepts and you got to ask yourself like do we include this do we skip it do we just completely blacklist this character or whatever mm -hmm. this plot line and yeah sometimes sometimes we do sometimes we have to just not acknowledge if something exists because it really should have never existed to begin with yeah that's true and and sort of the the kind of stuff that i would want to do making games today uh in terms of like you know art and depicting people in that art that sort of shows the broad spectrum of humanity uh, gets a little tricky to do when, you know, G.I. Joe and Transformers, like a lot of the characters are kind of like coded male. Um, yeah. uh, and, and it becomes difficult to kind of say, well, we need some, and, and a lot of cases with G.I. Joe, just sort of white male. Um, but, uh, trying to get everyone, and you end up kind of, you know, using and reusing certain characters over and over again a little bit, where, uh, whereas you can kind of, uh, just so you can have more women and, and more female-coded robots uh, uh, showing up in the art and in, and in the, the sort of uh, generic scenarios, becomes tricky. You know, I've I've kind of feel like I've already started bumping my head against that a little bit. Yeah, uh, and with GI Joe, like I can even point to how uh, like Hasbro's policy early on was to have one black character and one female character in every single wave. Mm -hmm. And so they started with Stalker and Scarlet, and then we got Cover Girl and Doc, and then we got uh, who was eighty four? Oh, Roadblock. We got Roadblock, mm -hmm. and we got uh, the Baroness. Um, Anyway, so they started, yeah. they continued with this pattern. And then in 1987, they said, you know what? We're done with female characters. And so oh, for half the line, they literally did not produce a single female character. They eventually produced an updated Scarlet only because they got the, uh, the rights to do uh, Street Fighters G.I. Joes. Like they are official G.I. Joes and they had Chun-Li and they made a Chun-Li mold. And they were like, well, we've got the mold. So let's just bring a new Scarlet <laughs> into uh, G.I. Joe as well. Sure, yeah. Yeah. 
So racial representation was a little bit better, but still one of seven or eight characters that were coming out every year is still not great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also for me, I just have to learn to all of the other, you know, when I'm maybe sort of ordering art briefs for, for, for iconic characters who all of the uh, uh, non-white dudes are. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm there to help. Yes, that's, yes. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I will. I will be always poking you about that kind of thing. Uh, I guess actually another side of the material that doesn't age well is Soundwave, where he is based on a cassette player. Oh yeah. And <laughs> he is still one of the most popular characters. Like he is so popular that the fact that the technology he turned into has been out of date for thirty years does not hurt his popularity, yeah. and people still want cassette versions of Soundwave. Like they've tried to change him. He right. was a like a, a rock band tour bus for a while and I thought that was a good <laughs> fit. And other times he's just like, you know, a Cybertronian jet with some <laughs> kind of docks for all of the mini cassettes. But every few years they've got to just admit that the fans also want original Soundwave. Yeah. For some reason they still like the idea of cassette player Soundwave. <laughs> I just all the having him all those little mini cons yeah it's just lots of fun and and having them i guess it's sort of almost easier to kind of make them convert into rectangles yeah basically. True. all they have to convert into is a square yeah uh and it's fun well you know it's like there's certain things that at least technology wise in general too like we still use the symbol for a 3.5 floppy disk to mean save in a lot of That's programs true. and it's just there and like you know you look at a phone any old phone to the the uh, button to press to call people still looks like a hand receiver that yep. shape general shape so people things get kind of into the collective unconscious of 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 sort of society and just kind of stick there and that's okay i mean you know if people that's what people want if people are complaining that soundwave should never have been should stop being a cassette player and they still making him a cassette player that'd be a different story but like people that's what people want yeah now uh along several lines you've got megatron who turns mm-hmm. into a gun yeah. which has a couple of issues one is the visual of just like this goes from a robot to a role play item and it's originally a very realistic looking gun yeah uh but the other thing is that it, when transformers first came out there was no care given to size that mm-hmm. megatron Soundwave could be 20 foot tall robots and then they could fit in your pocket uh, when they convert to their alternate modes and Transformers as a brand has kind of shied away from that much mass shifting and a role-playing game, you need rules. You need things to make sense. And so in Transformers, it was either we have to make a lot of rules to make sense of something that was really just, they didn't care. They just did not care and they Mm -hmm. did whatever was cool. Um, Or we have to say, yes, we know this is an iconic part of the brand, but we just cannot seamlessly fit this into a role-playing game. So let's just find workarounds and Megatron uh, luckily for the most part has transformed into tanks since his, uh, I guess his second version came out. And so we've focused more on the tank version of Megatron, which mm-hmm. again, Hasbro dealing with the problems that we would eventually be having has mm-hmm. helped us not have to deal with those problems. So. <laughs> That's true. It's true. You're going to have a, a corporation sort of blazing the way you can walk in their footsteps there. Uh, I, I kind of had a another one called RPG Needs, which is uh, a, a yeah. little bit of what we were just touching on, but I guess yeah. there's a little bit more. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, and going back to Power Rangers too, like there's a certain cadence to a fight, a Power Rangers fight, basically, or you know, the big ones at any rate, right? So yeah, the the game has to sort of take that into account, and it's sort of often the case when you're emulating any kind of genre specific thing you want to make sure that it feels like the genre you're trying to emulate uh so you introduce rules that say you can't do you know you can't bring your zord into a fight until a certain thing happens you know and you know and and uh the exact rule kind of escapes me at the moment but uh uh you know that it's in there or you know, about escalation you have to yeah, escalation. the threat escalation um uh you know any kind of game that has that sort of like tempo you need to kind of code in the rules because well you most of the time you you if you had a more generic system or whatever and some people will play it in the generic in the way they'll they'll know like oh this is the i want to emulate this so i will wait until things are right to do the thing but you know if you're just presenting rules that don't take that into account anyone can do anything and then you can you, you know they'll play it 
in a way that oh now we just we bring the zords down turn one and everyone gets to punch a bunch of zords uh, and if you there weren't rules making you play it like power rangers you might not play it as power rangers and you, luckily that stuff is in the in the in the power rangers stuff is to to make sure that it feels right yeah i remember uh, my friend was playing a game based on leverage the tv show which is like mm-hmm. uh, it's a heist a heist show mm-hmm. and um they got to kind of the end of the episode and they were like this, this kind of feels like we're just ending here it's like well what if we play out the scene that you usually have at the end of the heist where you fill in the blanks and show what was actually going on and so they right. kind of created this narrative scene that they would wrap up their sessions with based on the narrative needs of the show that the role-playing yeah, game was based on exactly that wasn't happened to be the actual leverage role-playing game that they were playing at the, was it Did yes it? they were they were playing the marketplace okay. uh, published uh, leverage role-playing game. yeah yeah when i and i ran that a while back uh my players had the worst luck so that unfortunately oh, no. made it not feel as much like leverage as it could have because they were just rolling terribly. But oh. you know, then that's a game. You know, then you have to deal with the game part of it. There is a cool upside to role playing game needs, and this is a story that Owen told me, uh, our mutual friend Owen Casey Stevens, mm-hmm. and he worked. He's been working on multiple different iterations of the Star Wars role playing game, and every now and then he would need a vehicle that would fit a uh, threat level or like a. a, a monster level anyway like it would need to fit into an adventure for players of a certain level and so he had to add some things to the star wars canon that would fit into you know what the game needed and then years later these things started showing up in star wars movies and tv shows things that owen invented and added to star wars because the game needed it suddenly became just part of the entire brand and uh that must be a really cool feeling yeah definitely wish <laughs> i wish i had to find that for myself someday and my last point here is how it changes you as a fan so uh i am you know a, a big fan of gi joe and people know this about me because i'm also an outspoken fan about gi joe mm-hmm. and in most cases i can find something really positive about most gi joe media but sometime after starting to work on the gi joe role-playing game the snake eyes movie came out and mm-hmm. this was a very disappointing piece of G.I. Joe media. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, very little good things to say about it. And I was just sitting there like, can I even share my thoughts anymore? I'm, I like, I was no longer comfortable expressing ah. myself to my fellow fans because now I was technically working on the brand. And so I had some allegiance to the brand and to protecting it. And, you know, at least not trashing the movie while it was out in theaters. Yeah. There have been little moments like that along the way where I might have jumped in and been like, yeah, that was kind of dumb or whatever. Now I've got to kind of be like, but have you considered a positive way of looking at that? Mm. Maybe it wasn't a dumb idea. <laughs> Maybe. Just sit back. Let people vent. They're going to vent uh, about stuff they don't like. Everyone's going to have something they don't like. So it, there's no reason to be the sort of white knight defender uh, of a thing. Uh, uh yeah. even 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 sort of like i would say myself as someone now as an official renegade employee uh i would i wouldn't necessarily say trash things like you said but like right. if there's problems with like a, I, I was definitely any game that i have worked on personally if there's problems with a game i that i see later on and people all sort of see that way i would admit to oh yeah that doesn't work as much as we'd like it to you know this is happening we're all we're all human here making this stuff so it's okay. It's okay to be wrong every once in a while, sure. uh, yeah. uh, and to admit to it and be like, "Yeah, we'll try better next time," kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, but again, but there's no real reason to be like, "Well, that, that was somebody," you know, like throw someone else under the bus or something stupid like that. Uh, but uh, 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 for me, you know, th- I think this is going to end up making me probably bigger fans of all this material uh, because I'm going to get steeped in it more, and I tend to like things that I. Uh, 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 immerse myself into i would say i i do yeah. i i i consider myself a, 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 a positive-ish person that i i can find the good in things when i uh, unless it's just unless i get uh, for whatever reason get get grumpy about it and find it absolute trash but i will like you know be like okay i can see why the, the positives of of certain aspects so a couple of years ago kevin eastman co-creator of the ninja turtles came oh, sure, to Montreal yeah. and was signing and uh, you can get one thing signed for free, anything beyond one he was charging you for. And so the one thing that I brought for him to sign was the coming out of their tour, their shells uh, tour video. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yes, there he because, is. Because uh, when I get really deep into something, let me put that back so I'm closer to the mic again. When I get really deep into something, 
I like the terrible parts of it as much as I love the good parts of it. Fair like, enough. Stormtroopers yeah. hitting their heads on doors. That's something that probably should have been edited out, but I love that a stormtrooper hits his head on a door. Still in there, and it's great. It's there's a certain thing, silly things like um, uh, let's talk about another completely another fandom uh, is um, I don't know if you're uh, uh, watching Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, yes, that that is a sort of like we love Star Trek and people writing it, but we love all the stupid stuff about it even more. <laughs> and it's clear that they do, and they put it in the show, and it's it's like kind of making fun of Star Trek, but in a real loving way that just yeah. fills me full of joy. You need to love Star Trek to get what they're making fun of exactly yes it's and it you know sometimes it's some 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 deep cuts but like when you uh, uh for instance re- recently maybe rewatched deep space nine and then you get a deep space nine reference in the latest episode of star trek you know lower decks you're like yes i got that and that's great and i feel closer to every you know get a weird parasocial relationship with the show in a way that's like yes let's make fun of that together there was one episode of lower decks that made about three references to powerful cards in the decipher star trek next generation collectible card game that i oh played in gosh. high school and i was like like it wasn't specifically calling out the card game but right, they made yeah. a roga dinar reference mm-hmm. and like nobody talks about roga dinar like the <laughs> genetically manipulated he's basically star trek's captain america uh and oh, then yeah. the exocomp shows up in that episode and yeah, exocomp okay, was so a really clutch card to have in that uh, card game <laughs> That's and i was just like i have a feeling Whoever wrote this episode was also a big fan of that card game because I am catching references or I'm making connections that there should be no connection between these different things. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) But on that note, I think it's about time we wrap things up. All right. Thank you for joining us for episode two of Upshift, No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast. Before we go, we've got a couple of shout outs. I've Mm -hmm. got three in line here. The first one is to you, Jason. What? Me? Shout out to you, Jason. Yeah, I, I kind of wrote about it on a blog the, oh, yeah. last week. And I was just like, you know what? Jason and I have known each other for a long time. It's... We get along very well. Sure, now we're yeah. podcasting together, working together. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Ryan, you're always a delight to talk to. Uh, oh, well, thank you. And, and, and game with, you know, having that game is fun. And now in my vernacular, just so you know, uh, anytime anyone says, you know, uh, we're doing this for the time being. I think of you saying, <laughs> "Let's this, time, this being. time being." I'm like, well, you know, wordplay. Oh, <laughs> That's not even one of my like. I don't think I'm as well known for that one. That but uh, well, that amuses me a great deal. To me, you are known for that one. <laughs> so thank you for that. That was a very uh, nice article, and I appreciate it. Yes, well, I'm, thank you. Well, and uh, you were saying I'm always a delight to talk to. Uh, I just want to say, after editing last episode's Upshift, I took out a lot of my rambling and sidetracks because Fair enough. You, that's the first time I've done a podcast like this in like six months. And mm. apparently I was on anecdote overload and just <laughs> shoved an extra 20 minutes of content that did not belong in that episode. Uh, that's fine. You were excited and the, the, the excitement shines through. I also want to give a shout out to the No Direction Network. So for people who don't know, for the last... 15 years or so as basically as long as i've been podcasting i've been a member of this network that eventually became known as the no direction network and we've got uh almost daily podcasts most of them are either actual play or news podcasts we've got almost daily articles uh all related to role-playing games the main focus is on paizo's products starfinder pathfinder but there's also just some broad gaming and broad role-playing game topics and uh honestly like as the guy that's in charge of the network that's supposed to be the the, the Pathfinder and Starfinder network, mm-hmm. the fact that I've taken a real backseat and I'm kind of doing my side project of Essence 20 content for the network on the side and nobody called me out on it and said like, this is just your vanity project. Like you have manipulated <laughs> something into something that it's not. Uh, so I just appreciate that all the staff, all the hard work they do and the fact that they're even putting up with Essence 20 content on a network that did not start out as a broad role-playing game network. Uh, that that means a lot to me because I didn't want to have mm. to leave the network just because I wasn't on the flagship anymore. Well, I mean, as you just said, you're an instrumental, a founding member, basically, of the thing. I don't. I think it's okay a little to be, you know, have a have a have some of that. Uh, uh, you've earned it, I would say. All right. Well, thank you. Well, and um, as a member of the No Direct Network, I guess I'm giving you two shoutouts. In one shout-out section. Oh, boy. This is going to go so, straight to my yeah. head. I'm going to be <laughs> insufferable from now on. 
the last shout-out I am going to give is something that probably should have been brought up last episode, but I hadn't finalized the plans. We have mm. a theme song by Word Burglar. It's not mm. an original theme song. Word Burglar is a Canadian rapper from Toronto who raps extensively about 80s properties and especially G.I. Joe. <laughs> and nice. uh, our theme song right now is Letter from Snake Eyes number four. And he is basically turning the entire 155-issue run of the original Marvel uh, G.I. Joe comic into a series of raps about Snake Eyes and what he was doing throughout it. They're catchy, they're fun, they're light, and the better you know G.I. Joe, the more references you catch, because he knows G.I. Joe as well as I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually... um, There was a recent Transformers animated series on Netflix. I forget what it's called, but it's not the Earthrise ones. It's like this kitty focused one where they all turn into like uh tupperware containers and like mm. like as though somewhere in the world there's also this tiny version of the transformers war going on between all the household items that are around you oh, okay. and anyway he he's voices one of those little transformers oh, I, I have not taken the time to watch it but i do like i love it when a fan then gets to work with the brand yeah 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 definitely definitely if you enjoyed this content and you're curious about any of the other content the No Direction Network puts out, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com. Check out, once again, our basically daily blogs and podcast content. And if you want to interact with any of the staff, you can go to our Discord, which is just about the chillest place you can talk about games it's true. on the entire internet. And if you really enjoy the content that we are putting out, we do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash nodirection, you can sign up for as little as... Actually, I think even though our lowest tier is $2 a month, I think you can sign up for as little as whatever you feel like donating. Uh, And you gain access to some exclusive content we put out. It is mostly our live shows. We'll have after shows that we then go into deeper conversations, more personal conversations with our patrons. And the topics are guided by our patrons who can join us for those live chats. So uh, once again, that's nodirectionpodcast.com. Follow the links to all of our social media, our Discord, and our Patreon if you'd like to know more. Terrific. Until next time. I'm Frank Costello. And I'm Jason Keeley. And this has been Upshift. I, on my to-do list, outro for Upshift. Fair enough. I, why do I wait until I get to the part where I'm supposed to be saying something to realize I don't know what I'm supposed to say? Oh. <laughs> Our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes number four by Word Burglar. Find it and other amazing tracks. Go to wordburglar.com. This has been a No Direction Network production. Find more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com. Enough to you,